time with missionaries and fellow servants of the Lord discussing what uh, God wants us to do in the work of God and the will of God, and discussing how the house of God should function and all these biblical aspects. What is a healthy church? What is a biblical church? And a great conversation the last few weeks. And uh, if you join me in Colossians in chapter 1, verse 17, let's look at the verse. It says, And he is before all things. Who are we speaking of? Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. Just like ladies, if you're going to go make some cookies or some bread, what's one of those ingredients you absolutely need to put in that? Yeast? Okay. Flour? What holds it together, though? Eggs. You, and you can try substitutes, right? There's other things that you can use. But if you don't put the glue in there to hold it together, it doesn't stick together uh, very well. It's very crumbly. And Jesus is the one by whom all things consist. He holds everything together. Go on. Verse 18. And he is the, what does the Bible say? Head of the, head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the beginning. The firstborn, sorry, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. This morning I'd like to answer this question and begin to answer this question, what is a biblical church? Questions are posed often today, what is a biblical church? Uh, is a biblical church one uh, that has this or that or the other? What is a biblical church? And uh, by the way, in heaven, uh, what are we going to have? What are we going to have when we worship the Lord? What's going to be the posture? The Bible says the, the, the angels in heaven and the, the 420 elders, you see them, and what kind of posture do they have before the Lord in heaven? Kneeling. Kneeling. They're kneeling down before the Lord. Now, there are churches, right, where you might have a kneeling bench and you'll kneel down during the service. And uh, I would say that kneeling is a biblical posture. Now, if we kneel and then say vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they know not God, uh, that is meaningless. But kneeling is a posture of worship. So kneeling before who? Kneeling before Christ. I, that's, it's, it's our visible, visible acknowledgement of who he is, that he is the head. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, it says he might have preeminence. I believe God wants to be in control of his church. Jesus wants to be in charge. And Jesus wants to be glorified. He wants to be exalted. He said, if I be exalted, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. So when Jesus Christ went about teaching, we often see what happening behind his ministry. Multitudes following him, hearing the word of God. Being healed, he met their physical needs. He must Notice, Jesus did meet people's physical needs. And he also met their spiritual need, gave them the gospel, and gave them an opportunity to put their faith in Christ. Jesus was the expert storyteller. He was the expert uh, parable uh, giver. And I asked uh, one of the missionaries who was with us the other day, I said, when do you think the church was started? 
That's a great topic to ask. And I said, by the way, uh, you can answer it several different ways from a biblical perspective. I'm not trying to be you. I just want to see what your perspective is. When did the church start? Uh, what is the church? The Bible refers to the church. When Moses was in the wilderness, it says the church in the wilderness. You say, what was that? He called out assembly. Called out assembly believers following Moses, who was following Christ. Then you see in the New Testament, you see Jesus going around about. And then after he is resurrected from the dead, he goes up to heaven. Forty days later, we have the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls get saved. Who were the leaders of that church? They had already been saved. And my belief is that the church did start earlier when Jesus called his disciples. He was forming the church. There was a call out assembly. He called them to come unto him. Everybody has their opinion. Some people think it's early the day of Pentecost. But the leaders were trained earlier. And so who were those following Christ? Now, you say, Pastor, I disagree with you about it. That's fine. We can, we can have your own opinion about it. We can have the Lord will tell us what's right. And I'm thankful that he knows the answer. Uh, but I will say the church did start. And it was biblical. And it was God, God honoring. They met day to day. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2. They met every day, house to house. And uh, the Bible says they were added daily to the church such as should be saved. I, I do believe and I long for that day when we'll see people saved on a regular basis. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day? I mean, our loved ones need Christ. Our, our, our neighbors need Christ. And the Lord wants to reach them. What is a biblical church? I once heard a story of 12 women. They were trying to build a tower. Now, none of them had ever constructed anything before, but they felt very passionate about building the tower. So they went to the local tower building class. They took tower building classes and they sat there on the edge of their seat. They studied very hard. They got excellent grades. And they thought all the time about building the tower. Winter came, so they decided, you know what, we'll wait till next year to build the tower. Winter came and went, and the following year the tower class started up again. So they went to the tower class and they repeated the cycle for the next five years. Attending the tower class, they became experts at tower building. And one of them said, finally, uh, you know what, we ought to do something about this. So they found a flat field and they began to construct the tower. They started building it. And three out of the twelve were natural leaders. One of them said, let's build the foundation out of stone. That's probably a good idea. The other one said, let's build the foundation out of sod. Uh, I think sod is a better construction to build a tower. The third had a brilliant idea. Let's go buy bricks. And so they all started constructing this tower. And they all started working together, and the other nine were trying to figure out what to do. And as they began building this tower, as you can only imagine, partly out of sod, partly out of brick, partly out of stone, uh, it was a very unique tower. They labored, labored for many, many years. With great patience and resilience, they labored, but they were very disappointed because uh, the tower, after 30 years, was only 10 feet high. And it was leaning very hard to the left. And so... They were very burdened about this, but they were knew that they had been working very hard. So after 30 years, the very next week, a town tower builder, a man arrived to the town. He was a tower builder. He was an expert. He built towers all around the world. This tower builder came in, and they invited him over and said, you know what, tower builder, we really want some instructions on how to rebuild this tower, because this, uh, this tower seems to be leaning a little bit to the left. The tower builder said, well, very sorry to inform you, but you're going to have to start all over. They've been working for 30 years on this tower, and it's you know it's got all this material in it, sod over here, brick over here, stone over here. The tower builder said, well, let's just start all over again. Let's start a new tower. And uh, they began to build a new tower, and the tower builder 
the other nine started helping, but those three kind of got a little confident, and they were building, still building their own tower. After just a few short months, the tower was up very high, and the tower builder was quickly constructing a neat and orderly foundation. They saw the townspeople began to come and help, and uh, all the people from the town came out and saw, wow, this tower, and they came out and started helping build this neat tower. And, and the, the others who had been working so hard and laboring for many years were very, very frustrated because they worked their pride. Why would somebody else be able to get so much help when we couldn't? We even took the classes on how to build a tower. Just a few months later, though, they got the tower finished, and an army came to attack the town. Twelve women wisely entered into the new tower and found safety and protection from the storm and from the army that was opposing the town. They found encouragement and help, and with other townspeople, they all found a place of refuge. My friend, Jesus is the wise tower builder, and he has a plan for everything that we do in life. And it's wise that we follow his instructions and follow his leadership. He wants the tower of faith, the fortress of truth, to be built in every tribe, town, and nation and place in his plan. But yet, this month, right, two churches in our community sale, closed down because they took the stand against gay marriage. Difficult times. Difficult times. You say, were those churches teaching the truth? I'm not here to dissect that, but they did take their final stand as they stood on a principle of the word of God in regards to marriage. That was their final stand. Their buildings were sold. They will be sold. Jesus wants the gospel to go to every people, every nation. And our view of this book will cause us to either thrive or to will, to grow healthy or to grow barren, to win the lost or to worry about the lost, to pray or to play. A biblical church is a healthy church, and a healthy church is a biblical church. This morning, let's see about what God says about this beautiful subject in His Word. Colossians is full of a focus on the Word of God and on what the house of God ought to be like. In verse 17, I'd like to draw your attention back to verse 17. It says, And He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. It is a Christ-centered body. He is the head of the church. We say, well, I know that he's the head of the church. I know he is, but I want to follow him in my life. My friend, following Christ is way more than just a mental consent. It's, it's our heart being full submission to the will of God, to the word of God, into the workings of God. Um, look around the room and look at people and see the people around you. Look around the room. Look around and see everybody. Okay? Do you see anybody's heart in the room? Can you see any of our hearts? Can you see anybody's mind? Mind readers? No, no mind readers. Can you see anybody's bones? I can't. I mean, you can see yourself about right. <laughs> All right. Bones. Okay, you see anybody's intestines? Can you see anybody's liver? Can you see anybody's joints? Throat? Lungs? Or can you see anybody's blood? I can't see your blood. You can't see mine. You can't see anybody else's in this room. All those parts of the body that we just described are invisible, and there are many, many more that we don't even know who we have. And uh, the first thing you notice, though, on somebody is usually their head and their face. The head directs the body. And the chiropractors tell us that 
The way your head is adjusted directly relates to everything else. You say, I got foot pain. They'll tell you it's related to your neck and to your head. Because we have this bowling ball God placed upon the top of our head, uh, right up here on top of our neck. And if the bowling ball is just slightly out of alignment, the whole vertebrae thing starts to go off. And it throws out your hips, throws everything else off in your body. My friends, you can get shots, you can get medication, but if the head is not straight, if the head is not properly aligned, there's a problem in the vertebrae in the neck. Everything else goes out of alignment. It can cause every health problem known to man. If you've ever been to a chiropractor, you look at the little chart and you see where every little muscle, every little vertebrae in your body, what it's connected to, and you see literally every health problem you can have is directly related to your spinal cord and directly starts from your neck and head and goes right down. The same way as in the body of Christ, Jesus is the head. He wants everything to flow from him. My friend, if your neck is severed, you will perish quickly. Jesus' grandmother fell in the shower and broke her neck and that is what took her out. Very, very quickly. When your neck is broken, when your spinal cord is severed, you will perish very quickly. It's a very tragic time for the family. An unexpected loss. An unexpected stroke. All these things, unexpected. But my friend, if the head gets out of alignment, death is certain. If, if the spinal cord gets, gets crushed. If Christ is not aligned properly to each of our lives, we're bound for trouble. He wants to be aligned to the finger. But what if God wants you and I to be the joint? Can you see the joint? No. And I'm not talking about other words that people use for things that are, um, that are not of God. And my friend... Um, that only costs a lot of money and wastes a lot of time and put people into poverty. I'm not talking about that. But if the Lord is not in everything, connected to everything, in the way in which the church functions, if there's not a Christ-like spirit, if there's a folded heart, if our heart has become full to the Lord, we can miss the connection with Christ. We can boast of our relationship to Christ, my friend, but truly our face, our voice, our heart reveals what is on the inside of what comes out of the mouth, what comes out on the outside. If God, uh, I tell you, if God can use and He can grow His body, you say, I don't know if God can. Remember a man named Moses? I seem to remember Moses had a big problem. Does anybody remember what Moses' uh, physical defect was, at least that he told God he had? He told God he had a speech impediment. Now, I don't know if he did or didn't, because he seemed to be able to speak quite well later on, but he apparently was slow of speech, so maybe he just stuttered a lot, had a hard time speaking. I don't know, I wasn't there. But I do know that Moses had a lot of trouble speaking, but it seems like, to me, God used him in a great way. God can use our weaknesses for His glory we surrender to Him. Um, any God-called preacher, deacon, elder, can grow into his position of effectiveness if he's surrounded by believers who are growing themselves. Any pastor can grow into a position of effectiveness if he's surrounded by believers who are growing themselves. The greatest level of growth is in the greatest command. And you say, what's the greatest command to love God? The head. See, a Christ-centered body, we're in love with Jesus Christ, and then we love our neighbors. It flows automatically like that. The more Christ-centered we are, the more we will love His body, the church. And that involves every part of the body, even the parts that are not as attractive. 
a Christ-centered body. Next, a consecrated life. A consecrated life. If you look down at Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3 is a beautiful chapter. The whole book of Colossians is wonderful. So many great truths here. But look down in verse 10. And have put on the, what does he say? New man. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. I don't know about you, I, I always need renewal. And my friend, the more you walk with God, the more he will renew you as you surrender to his will. A consecrated life. To put on the new man, which is renewed after the image of him that created him. He tells us of this consecrated life. Look on in verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And the Jewish people were to identify with their Judaism by the Abrahamic covenant, which was circumcision. And so he said, you know what? You say, well, they, if they didn't perform that act, that ritual, that rite, then they were not part of the family of God. Paul says, no. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. He says, uh, it's not a division over the race. It's over the relationship with Christ. It's not a division over where we came from, uh, our background, our personality. No, but it's Christ is all and in all. Beautiful thing right there. Christ is all and in all. Put on, verse 12, therefore is the elect of God. Holy love. How does he describe our walk with God? Read this together with me. And you say, these are interesting words. They are. They're good. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. He, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. And look at verse 16. This is just a beautiful passage. Let the word of Christ, so the head is Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Have you ever gone to a church service and you say, man, you went to church service and didn't get revived, you get it refreshed. Every person in the building takes responsibility uh, for the temperature of the building. We each bring uh, something negative or positive to the room. And teaching and admonishing another, he says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he says, oh, singing with this grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's hard to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord harboring bitterness in the body of Christ. A consecrated life. A consecrated life. Completely committed he describes this, verse 10, this new man. The new man is a consecrated man. The new man is a man that, he says, the spiritual-minded man or woman will have this attitude, in verse 12, as the elect of God, so call of God, distinctly getting our energy from Christ. He says, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. So an attitude of submission to Christ and to one another. Meekness, long-suffering, in a sense. Long-suffering. This week we have our missionaries, uh, Daniel and Rachel Bill, on their way to Honduras, and they've been a big blessing. They've helped us for a week around the church. 
serving behind the scenes doing things. And he's up here, he has several meetings, and we're hosting him for about 10 days, and, and he'll be with us tonight. And him and his wife, so so kind and thoughtful. Um, we in the garden, come right on out, and help him lead and do things. And you know what, that enabled me to get a lot of things done. I get the signs up this week, and get some things done that needed to get done. And they were a big help with projects around the church, and other things that needed to be done. And with outreach yesterday, really finished almost one whole half of Granville between last Saturday and this Saturday. And just working so hard and meeting people and trying to win souls for the kingdom, laboring for the Lord. My friend, God didn't just call the bills to be laborers like that. And Daniel knows that whenever I'm going to the mission spirit, that's what I would do. He knows that when I go to his church, that's what I would do. That's what he does when he comes here because that's what a godly Christian does. Labor in the work of God, love people, serve, consecrated life, a, a new man. As we took a little break and took them up Haystack Mountain, we decided to take uh, three toddlers up Haystack Mountain. That was an exciting adventure. And we uh, went up the mountain, and of course, uh, I'm very proud of uh, three of She conquered the mountain by herself with just a hand being held uh, and walked most of the way by herself. And uh, the other two-year-olds, uh, they received help from their fathers, but they uh, did survive. And they made it to the top of the mountain and back down. It was a beautiful hike over three and a half miles. And as we were going up that mountain, we saw something interesting beside the trail, something I've never seen before. Again, walking along, I saw toothpicks all over the ground. Who had a big pile of toothpicks up here? There's about a million toothpicks, you know, just spotting the trail for as here, from here all the way out to the to the uh, parkour, just going all along the trail. What are these toothpicks doing out here? And they had little quills on the end, and then there was a carcass off to the side, which had thanked the Lord, stopped sleeping a while back. And so I noticed that carcass and looked like a porcupine. My friend, you know, that porcupine left his remembrance in the trail. I had to convince my daughters to not pick up those quills. And uh, we're sitting there looking at that. But you know what? That porcupine, I don't know what got it, man, but it had a fight for its life. And uh, that bear or whatever was filled with porcupine quills, I'm sure. But looked at that trail, that body, and that carcass, and that was not going to produce any more life. But there's no chance we're going to go back there and reconstruct all those quills and try to even take it to a taxidermy. To have it redone. No way. They're, they need a body to reconstruct it all. And in the same way, it's very difficult in the spiritual life. We don't have new life with Christ flowing through our veins to let the old bones completely forgotten. Our, our body gets weak. Our, our old man, the Bible says, no matter how old we are, we can be uh, one year old and, and the old man, the old nature rules, right? Um, so the old man begins to rule that old body just like that. Carcass can do absolutely nothing of itself. A constant, unconsecrated life can do nothing in and of itself. The new life is a consecrated life. Uh, new life shows. You can't hide new life. You can't hide the joy. You can't hide a renewed old life. It's a beautiful thing when God takes a rusty old way of thinking and transforms it into his glorious way. We begin to see things from a new perspective and we say, wow, he wants me to make a difference. You say, what is the church all about? Too often we look at the externals instead of recognizing it's the internal, it's the people of faith following God. 
say, how do you know that? It seems to be in the Bible they didn't have any of the things that we have that they walked with God. They had Pentecost, they didn't have a sound system. I don't know how they preached to that other people, a sound system, but they had really good voices, and uh, they were used to listening really well. The children were very, very quiet. And uh, he preached to all those people, and thousands of people got saved, and gospel went forward. They didn't have all the things that we use and do today, my friend. They didn't even have gospel tracts, yet somehow people got saved. Other word of mouth. God wants to use His word, and He wants to use a new life. The new life is way more powerful than some handful of literature. The transformed life, a consecrated new life. Thirdly, this morning we notice in our text there's a common distinction. A common distinction. Look down in verse 14. We read it a moment ago. Above all these things, so He tells us to forgive. He tells us to be kind. He does this to be long-suffering. And uh, he then says later on, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So he says you're perfect according to how you love. Loving people who do not love in return. He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in which also you are called in one body and be thankful. A moment ago, we gave thanks to God for some things. And we recognized what God did. If you, God gave you boldness to be a witness, that's God. God gave you strength in the situation that's God. He says we're supposed to let God's word dwell in us in such a way. We're supposed to let the peace of God rule in us in such a way that it's a distinct change. Peace is displayed when we are under stress. When we all have a breaking point. When you, when you lose a loved one, you still have breaks. God wants us to have peace. It leads in our worship in the house of God. Peace. The peace of God. It's a, it's a temperament. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something you can't, I can't get for myself. It comes from Christ alone. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. God gives the peace in the middle of the storm. And peace is a common distinction. He says, put on charity. He says, let the peace of God rule. The peace of God is the common denominator. The peace of God is what keeps the engine going no matter what's going on. What keeps us moving forward, and often moving forward in the will of God, as I said last week, is a matter of the will. It's a matter of the will. We say, you know what, I'm going to choose to have the right attitude. I'm going to choose to love people today. I'm going to choose to do the will of God. I'm going to choose to go serve today. Uh, I'm going to choose to go be a witness today. Whatever it is, I'm going to choose to do it because I love Him, because it pleases Him. It's a common distinction. Let the peace of God, then when we get in those situations and we're under stress and we're worn out, let the peace of God rule. Demonstration that we're a child of God is how much peace you have in a storm. How much peace you have. Think about what Proverbs says. Man passing by, meddling with strife belonging not to him, is like a man that gave a dog by his ears. God doesn't want you to take on everybody else's stress when you pass by a situation. It'll, it'll bog you down in life. He wants you to walk in the spirit and bring a spirit of joy to the house of God, a spirit of peace to the house of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us in verse 13, and we are to be at peace among yourselves. It's a great verse. I challenge you to study it. 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Let the peace, he says, be at peace among yourselves. It's a common distinction among a group of spirit-filled believers that we live at peace. Then Galatians, if you would join me over there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians 5 and verse 13. Common distinction. 
this peace of God rules, and this peace of God causes us to be thankful, and he says it causes us to make a difference. Galatians 5 and verse 13. For brethren, we've been called into liberty, only use not liberty for occasion to the flesh, but by, what does he say? Serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look in verse 15 and read it together with me if you would. But if he bite and devour none, if he that he be consumed on the neighbor. Look in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, ye shall not fulfill us the flesh. A common distinction, the peace of God giving us the strength to display the love of God in the middle of storms. By the way, like we said a bit ago, Moses, God used him in a mighty way. And the people that surrounded him, some of them, many of them, had a different heart. But thank God for a man like Joshua who stood up for God and made a difference. And thank God for the Joshua's in this world. The Bible says we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us. I'd like to wrap up in this, this whole message going back to chapter 3 of Colossians. Chapter 3 in verse 16. The Bible says we are not only to have the peace of God, which is supposed to be the ruler, supposed to be the dominator. My friend, uh, before you get upset about something, when you think about, you know what, is is, is anything? Am I, am I sure? Am I sure this is of God? Am I sure that I was listening to somebody who's uh, speaking in a spirit-filled manner? Is this really of God, or is it just of my flesh? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of Christ. I seem to remember a psalm, Psalm chapter 1. I seem to remember a Bible said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The scorners are those who mock those who are doing right. And he says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth his fruit. You say, I love God, I know God, I walk in God's word, and I will be to God. That's great. Then there's the fruit. Okay? Uh, so when we when we want to say, you know what, I'm in the Word of God, you say, you say, you know, you're in the Word of God, you're in the, in the fellowship of the believers, you're trying to do right, you say, I'm hearing all my instructions from God, then, then the question we need to ask ourselves is, if we are obeying the Word of God and the Word of God is true, God wants that there to be fruit flowing from our life. You say, when will that come in due season? But there should be fruit, and we should ask God to help us to have fruit. You think it's possible to be a Christian and not produce any fruit? I don't ask you to answer that, but to think about it. According to John 15, it's an impossibility. According to John 15, Jesus says that a branch doesn't bear fruit. He says he fucks it away and then casts it in the fire and burns it. You say, what does that mean, God? My friend, there's a common distinction. Fruit bearing. Fruit bearing. Let the Word in and let the Spirit in. The challenge is to let the peace of God and the Word of Christ and the natural result will be that we edify, that we sing, that we worship, that we admonish, that we teach one another in the love of God to make a difference. We, we ought to be focused on things that would edify and build up the body. What can we do to impact and encourage someone else in the house of God? What can we do to help somebody else bear fruit in the house of God? Who can we go with this week and maybe go invite some friends? 
Education Bible School. Who could we go with? Could we tell somebody about Jesus? Who are we going to edify to do the work of God? A church, my friends, is as strong as its focus on Christ. As strong as our focus on Christ, because he said he's the head. The church is as healthy as the new life found within each member of the body. Look, often we pride ourselves, and I've traveled the world and seen this everywhere, we pride ourselves in our membership, but we don't have the new life within us, okay? Ask God, Lord, help me to, to not just be a member of a body of believers, but have new life, have fresh energy, have fresh zeal, have the peace of God ruling in my heart. That's a common denominator that demonstrates I'm a child of King. It's as healthy as the new life found in each member. Uh, and the church demonstrates its Bible knowledge by its love, by its biblical love, loving the unloving. Just this last week, I had to answer questions for somebody when we were out door knocking. There's a lot of difficult questions people ask today. Someone let me know about how their loved one has recently got into a lifestyle, but they honestly don't know which gender they're in. They're confused. And they asked me, they said, I'm looking for a new church. They said, but I want to know that you're going to have love towards, you know, men. What a tough question, because the truth of the matter is the individual I was talking with probably has never read their Bible. What a tough question, because you can quickly answer that question and turn somebody away from the faith forever, or you can teach them the love of God, and that all sin is sin in the eyes of God. Instead of distinguishing only one sin is the bad sin, yes, it's being stuffed in our faces every day, and it's sin in the face of the Almighty God. But my friend, this individual was seeking the truth. They wanted the truth, but yet they wanted to, they care about their loved one, and they need compassion because they don't understand why. And so instead of cutting somebody off and cutting the relationship off, we need to understand where they're coming from and say, you know what? Because there's a deeper issue there, there's some insecurities. And the truth of the matter is the individual who has identified as someone else, you know what, in the eyes of God, God still sees them for who they are. Just like this individual who's going to decide to compete in women's, uh, women's sports, whatever ridiculous thing. 35 years training as a man, now he's going to switch over, now he's become a woman, now he's going to compete in women's, in women's lifting weights. And just to celebrate, Google this morning decided to put uh, a, man, a man, man's body as somebody lifting weights with a rainbow just to celebrate this morning. Go ahead and announce it so that uh, if you decide to look anything up on Google, you'd see it right there, right stuff in your face. And it's being pushed in our faces today. But you know what? Those people, everybody needs Jesus, and everybody needs his love. Everybody needs to know that we care about them first. You say, uh, we got to give them truth. We will give them truth, and I do speak to them about the truth. But often the reason they've drawn that conclusion is because they never saw the truth. Okay? And so, instead of just attacking the decision they've made, deal with the root problem, which is, hey, God loves you. He knows you. All sin is sin in the eyes of God. That's the root issue. And God wants to give you deliverance. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you security found in Christ. He wanted some medication, life-altering medication, the rest of your life, which everyone like that has to get on in order to live that lifestyle. My friend, a biblical church demonstrates its Bible knowledge by Love worketh no Love is the fulfilling of the law. Ask you this morning, will you commit to follow Jesus Christ and be part of the biblical local church? Letting God renew you. Letting the peace of God control your thoughts. You say, but, but the biblical church needs to be ugly. Uh, the 
church needs to be biblical, sound in their theology, sound in the truth, but teaching and admonishing and guiding people to the truth of God. And I found that when people find out that you love them, they'll have no problem working on the other issues in their life. Many people have got discipled in the last few years and they're in the house of God and here somewhere else now, growing in the Word of God by coming from various backgrounds, but finding truth in the Word of God, finding that God loves them, finding that God's truth never changes, and my friend, finding there's hope in the cross, finding that somebody's willing to spend time with them to teach them the Word of God. Would you be that somebody who will love somebody to bring them to Jesus Christ, to, to be part of the body of believers, with a common distinction, above all things, put on charity, letting the peace of God rule in your hearts, through which else you're calling one body be thankful for the good things God's given you. Be thankful for the blessings. Let's ask God to control our thoughts and our actions of service. Make the goal to follow Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's ask God to help us with that in the house of God. Have this distinction in our lives. Follow me, Christ, with a full heart, a renewed life. Let's, let's join together for prayer this morning. Let's stand together for you. Thank you each for watching my way live stream. Close up last week this time. Let's bow together to share this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gospel that changes lives. We thank you for the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Father, we ask you today that you would help us to live a life renewed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for, for many of us in the room maybe have just gone through a period of patching life or not experiencing renewal. Lord, I pray for any in the room who are struggling with that. And in their life, the truth of the matter is the old man's been winning a little bit. And the old man's kind of been overtaking, and Lord, the flesh is winning, and there's, there's no fruit. But you want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, that we might admonish, that we might encourage, that we might edify, that we might sing with joy, and we might have the grace of God in our lives. Pray you help, Lord, that each of us would surrender the cross and make a difference. Father, for those who may have not yet trusting in Christ, you continue to convict their heart that they might call on the name of the Lord today and be saved. We thank you so much for your gospel that changes lives. The piano begins to play. I invite you this morning to ask the Lord, search me, Lord, try me, Lord, help my thoughts. Ask the Lord to help you make a difference. Ask the Lord to help you to be a revived member of the body of Christ with a living head.
I'm sharing Bible study with us this afternoon or then this week. Uh, I didn't want to put us at set time. You just let us know, all right? Uh, you have the phone and let us know. And the, the flyer has a number you can call or text. So uh, let us know when you want to go on outreach today, uh, this week. And then uh, church-wide outreach will be next, uh, in two weeks from now, following July 4th. So next Sunday, July 4th, we will have our Bible study as usual and finish up the series. And then on uh, Sunday, July 11th, we'll have church-wide outreach uh, at 4 p.m. on that Sunday. And the following Sunday, we'll have vacation Bible school right here at 6.30. So, uh, each week doing something for the kingdom of God, I pray you'll be a part of that. Pray for our vacation Bible school, plan to be a part, plan to invite, and ask God to do a great work.